Welcome to the Armada Podcast with your host, Kalorn. Venators are crap ships and they just are wannabe uh, Imperial Star Destroyers, right? Fox Omega. You know what? Yeah, I'll say it. I think the Providence is probably the worst ship in the faction, um, including a, I'd rather have a Gazanti. And Juliet Whiskey. But there is no mid-level content. Either it's beginner or super advanced. And now, the Armada Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the pilot episode of the Armada Podcast. I'm your host, Kellar who you might or might not know as the admin of the Armada TTS Discord. This is actually my second podcast, the first being a podcast about the wargaming title World of Worship, so we're hoping to uh, have learned some lessons from uh, from doing that. Uh, I primarily consider myself to be an Imperial player, but I do dabble in Rebels and CIS from time to time. Uh, But that will take us to our second host, Fox Omega. Hey, guys, I'm Fox. Uh, I primarily... uh main uh, separatist right now. I used to play Imperials. Uh, this is my first podcast ever. I do not have experience in uh, the web, the the broadcast voice. So uh, this is an exciting moment for me to kind of uh, get jump in with Kalorn and, and see how this goes. So, And then Jovan, uh, Juliet Whiskey, you've got some uh, experience in this stuff, right? Yep, yep, sure do. This is Juliet Whiskey. I've uh, been a streamer, and now I have dabbled into uh, Star Wars Armada. Actually, Fox Omega dragged me into this uh, through our lives, surprisingly. Um, been out to a few tournaments. It's been a, a real blast. So, really, I'm the rookie of the group. I'm going to be asking a lot of ignorant questions. A lot of ignorant questions. But I am very excited to get into this. Uh, well, we're glad to have you, and we're glad to have you uh, that perspective in the podcast as well. Uh, but before we introduce our first guest, uh, we want to just share a little bit of our thoughts behind why we wanted to make this podcast in the first place. Uh, it kind of goes without saying that we all of us love Armada, uh, and, so, and we've been in it for varying amounts of time. But we'd like to provide a source of weekly Armada content for people to listen to and to watch. So between the podcast and streaming our games on YouTube, we, we hope that you'll be able to keep coming back to share our enjoyment for the game. Uh, but I guess Whiskey and Fox, did you guys have any other thoughts on why we were wanted to make this in the first place? Yeah, I think there's a, a varying amount of content for Armada Online, um, and it, it's for different audiences, people who are just now getting into the game, people who are very, very experienced in the game, such as Angry Ewoks videos on YouTube. Um, and it's all great content, but what we're hoping to provide with this podcast is something that arrives at the questions that players who've been playing for one, two years are asking, how do I arrive at, uh, a competitive fleet? How do I approach certain issues, uh, with my fleet? Uh, I'm getting beat constantly by this guy who keeps bringing this fleet on weekly flight nights. And we are hoping to provide context to tournament wins and explain how certain things arrive where they do. Uh, and we, we enjoy, the three of us have enjoyed really, really talking about that concept, uh, especially as Juliet Whiskey's learned the game. And it's kind of where the, the, the idea for the podcast has uh, arrived. So we're hoping that we can, we can do that. 
mostly as we drive back and forth for tournaments. I was just about to say, yeah, the big spot that we really, really disagreed with. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were literally just rolling to a tournament in Texas. And we're sitting in the car, and these two just start going off, and they're talking about everything. And I have beginner's knowledge. I've watched all the beginner videos. I've watched all the basics. I've gone through every possible basic that you could go through. And it kind of just hit us. There is no mid-level content. Downsize it. If you got an opinion on it, I would love to hear it. But there is no mid-level content. Either it's beginner or super advanced. But when you get to those spots where it is like, okay, I started building my fleet. But really, what makes my fleet competitive? What makes it, what gives it that zing to where I'm not landing in the bottom half of every tournament? I've only been at the top half of one tournament out of the, what, six I've been to? I think we lost Fox. He'll be back. But downsides, what, what do you think about content overall in the Armada space? On the, well, I think that, like you said, there is high-level content. And when it comes to mid-level, I think it's actually... I, I could have a different perspective of this. I think Ion Radio and myself are more in the mid-range. <clears throat> um, I know I don't do a lot of high-level content. Uh, when we do our, like, my tournament practices and stuff, you know, even when I'm doing that, it's still pretty casual because we, we don't really have a lot of high-level metas in our area. And a lot of times when I watch the Ion Radio uh, bat reps, they don't get... To me, at least, they don't get too much into like the super highly competitive lists. They seem to be more designed for more like entertainment, etc. Um, don't get me wrong. I, but what I think we have less of is beginner what? content. Um, really, for, like true beginners, like trying to learn the game from scratch, starting from up from the from the front. Like for my own channel, personally, my beginning, my introductory, um, my like that huge three hour long introduction to Armada that I did a year and a half ago, which I just need to take it off YouTube because it's so bad and I need to redo it. But (laughs) edit it, put something new up and then quietly shuffle it off to the side. Just like, yeah, "Yeah, this is the new spot. Just click on this playlist. (laughs) But I think there's a good balance between high level and mid level as because I I think, I especially think ion radio is good for mid level. They don't do a lot of like highly competitive tournament lists that I've seen. From the stuff I watch. So with all of that said, Fox, can you introduce our guest of the week? Yeah, we happen to have uh, another content creator on for the first episode. Uh, Downsize it. He's uh, an active uh, uploader on YouTube, puts out a bunch of great content, has done a lot of commentaries on tournaments. And so we wanted to bring him in and ask him a couple questions. Downsize it. How you doing, man? Greetings and thanks for having me. I'm doing good. It was an honor, by the way, when I you, uh, you guys reached out to let me be on the channel for your first episode. Yeah, for the for the inaugural episode. Yeah. Well, hey, so I have a series of questions I want to ask you because I'm curious about. I've seen a lot of your content. I'm curious about some things. Uh, number one, how long have you been playing Armada? So this uh, the very first time I played goes back to I think it was about 2014 when um, Armada was first coming out. And in our local area, Northwest Arkansas, we have these monthly game days on Saturday where people are encouraged to bring their games in and teach others how to play games, etc. And one of my friends brought in his uh, uh, the first box of Armada, the starter set, and did a test game, which was really cool. And I played X-Wing up to that point. It was fun, but I didn't want to invest in it. But I love the large-scale game of Armada with the big ships and the planning ahead in the future, etc. 
And, but it wasn't until 2017 when I decided to pull the trigger and actually invest in the game and play it more regularly. And I got really lucky. I found a guy on eBay that was selling a big lot of Armada stuff, a lot of Empire and a lot of Rebels, and was able to get it ultra cheap and uh, was able to get that to uh, start my foray into Armada. And I've loved it ever since. That's the way to do it. You find somebody who's trying to offload everything and you immediately jump in with all the different pieces that you need. You know, I think that's a, that's a great way to start. Yeah, I got really lucky. <laughs> So I do got a question for you, Downsizer. So you said you played X-Wing, um, and it was fun, but you weren't really feeling it. Now, like I've said, I'm the rookie of the group. I got dragged into Armada. That right. literally, Fox came in, kicked in my door, dragged me out the house, and said, you're going to put this ship on the board and fly it that way. Anyways, I have not played X-Wing, so what is some of the like major core differences between X-Wing and Armada? So with X-Wing, it... X-Wing is almost like playing only single command dial ships for the entire game. Um, because everything is a lot faster play, faster paced, a lot um, quicker reaction times, etc. Uh, you don't really have to plan ahead that much. And they actually have specific like maneuver profiles that you have to use to move your ships. And everything goes in a specific order. Um, you do all of your movement, and then you do all of your shooting, then in reverse order, and that's how X Wing works. And which is fine. It's really it, it's a really fun, fast paced game, like a beer and pretzels game, and they go a lot faster than Armada games usually. But I like the more the high strategy, big ships commanding your fleet of squadrons, having to plan ahead. That those are more the types of games that appeal to me. Beer and pretzel games. Oh my gosh, are <laughs> some people who love. <laughs> <laughs> X-Wing are going to uh, love that you said that. That's awesome. We're also curious about your experiences at uh, major tournaments. Uh, have you been to any uh, larger tournaments in the past? Uh, how did that go? How did you feel about that, that atmosphere and how it's different from like normal tabletop? So my... First major tournament was actually at Gen Con 2017, about three months after I'd actually purchased all my Armada stuff. And uh, Gen Con is, uh, I usually go to that on a regular basis. That's where my academy friends kind of try to have our yearly reunions there. And I decided I wanted to try out Armada in a competitive scene and to see what it was like. And um, the... Uh, I got my, my ass kicked. I mean, it was U.S. Nationals, and I was a brand-new player. Uh, my first game was against a guy doing an Akbar keep-away fleet, and just, uh, I, I forget which, it was a blue mission where he just farmed tokens. I'd never even played any of those types of missions Sensornet. yet. It, it might have been Sensornet, and I just, you know, lost by like 600 points. It, nothing even died. He didn't even kill me. I didn't kill him. It was just farming the entire game, whatever you can max farm for six, six rounds. And uh, completely crazy. But he was a very good teacher. He actually went on, I think, to get second in the entire tournament. But he actually taught me a lot of things. And I had a lot of fun. But I did not uh, try competitive again until last year's Lone Star Open in Dallas. And uh, the reason for that is because I, I've been kind of turned off to competitive play for any kind of game uh, for several years. Primarily due to my experiences with Warhammer 40k, trying out the competitive scene there. And just not the the most uh, friendliest uh, environment, <laughs> at least the ones that I, I tried playing with. And it was kind of not fun. 
playing what we call cheese lists or super I want to win lists. But uh, kind of went through a uh, process last year at the beginning of the summer to start ramping up for LSO and I wanted to give it a shot and was really, really happy with the community, the competitive community in Armada that I found. The, uh, they say how welcoming everyone was. I didn't play against a single asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Don't play against any jerks. Everyone was that's nice. That's because you didn't play yeah. against me and Matt. Right. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. You two, you two are A-okay. Don't, don't. So no, I, I actually have a, have a quick question for you, Dot Sizes. Um, you said that you got annihilated in your first tournament. And one of the things that I've noticed is that sometimes we get the get newer players that come in and they just get they tend to get destroyed early on playing Armada. What would you say to somebody that's getting into Armada and is in that process of getting their butts just kicked all the time? I would say, one, uh, don't go into a game of Armada if you're new. And let's say you're not playing with friends. Let's say you only have like a local tournament scene and you don't have a close group of friends yet. I would say go in expecting to lose, but using it as a learning experience. Um, failure is the best teacher. Um, really pay attention to what your opponent does and how they plan their dials, how they move. And, and just go for the learning experience and watch how other people play. If you do have a good friend community, try to get like try to get your friends involved, or um, ask, or if you have friends that play Armada, ask them to bring like easier lists, more like um, learning lists, so you can just get a feel for the game. So, um, and and the most important thing I would say is like even just practice at home with maneuvering, 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 maneuvering is so important. Um, that I actually did that for a, a few months after I got back from Gen Con. I just put my models on the table and just practice with the maneuver dial. Or the maneuver tool with different size ships, just to see what you can do with it. My only, my only tidbit in this whole thing is if, if you are new, because it was like what game three, Matt, that I went to a tournament. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, like, games, games four, five, and six for you were all in a tournament at at at, uh, at Warzone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my, my my only advice. Um, Wear some comfortable shoes, <laughs> bring water, and have a plan for food. Because, well, yes, Armada is a slow game, a tactician's game. Time flies, and you'll look up, and you'll be like, oh, God, it's the evening, and I haven't eaten or drank anything for hours. So just just word of advice. And have I'm going to add ibuprofen to your list. Just oh, God, saying. ibuprofen. <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> ibuprofen for tournaments. Uh, Matt, you got got a couple more questions for Ben, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what would you say? I think I have an idea of what the answer to this is, but what would you say your play style is? Uh, I love squadrons. Um, one of the main things that attracted to me are about Armada, and this just comes to my. Uh, I like military history, and one of the eras I like is World War II. And the whole carrier group and with uh, squadrons and support ships. And I really love that aspect. Um, and that's actually how like Star Wars was shot. The first Star Wars was George Lucas took most of his inf inspiration from World War II battles, which is why ships in Star Wars fly like naval ships as opposed to actual spaceships. And so I like having a big command ship, Star Destroyer, and a few support ships and a whole boatloads of squads. And 
basically just pr- pretend like I'm a, an admiral back in World War II, you know, on the Enterprise or the Hornet or something. So that is definitely my primary play style that I enjoy. It's funny that you say that because every time I've had to describe this game to somebody, the only thing I can think is space naval combat. <laughs> From day one, it's always been this is space naval combat. What? And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I totally agree. That's And that's an interesting segue because my next question is what drives you to play this game? The, the primary, um, that that is the, you know, what I just described is the big one because it does feel like just playing naval combat in space. But the main thing I like it is because it does involve a lot of high level strategy as well as tactics. Um, very few games uh, have one or the other. A lot of a lot of games are very tactical, very fast paced, tactical. Um, and then you have some like, you know, high level strategy games, but there's not a lot of actual tactics. Um, in Armada, you get both. You actually have to have a high level strategy planned out. And you have to plan ahead and be able to adjust it on the fly. But in the moment, you have to be able to adjust your tactics. And ha- so I like that combination that uh, Armada brings. It's very stimul- stimulating um, when it comes to trying to get better. And uh, I, I don't like fast paced, you know, easy to play games like like X-Wing. You know, just another hot take for you for your friends. <laughs> the X-Wing community is going to mull us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I, I do got to swing back around to um, what a uh, question that I, I'm making a list of questions on my side. So it, your play style would definitely be fleet carrier group. So what is the worst uh, alternate play style that, to play against for you? Like, if you see it land on the table, it's just immediate, like, well, boy, this is going to be rough. Uh, so the worst alternate play style, I would have to say, would actually be somewhat of a similar setup where they have a lot of squadrons to neuter my squads, but their ships are better, like, either they have more ships than, like, my one Star Destroyer, and then they can swarm it and take it out while the squad battle happens. Or have a large ship like you know, like a Starhawk, like Paul and I played uh, last week, um, where the star, where a single star destroyer can't take out a single Starhawk, not not realistically, and my squads aren't going to be able to help me because I'm busy dealing with his squads. So basically, it's the the counter would be almost a similar list, um, because just about anything else. Uh, not saying it's uh, going to be an easy fight. But let's say I face a, like an MSU fleet, a lot of small ships, but hardly any squads. Um, especially since I like playing Empire and my squads are fast, I can usually catch those MSU ships. And the, I, I mean, we've all seen the fights where a squad heavy list goes up against a no squad or min squad list. The squad heavy list tends to win out fairly easy. And I wouldn't want to say easily. I, I, I'm drifting into territory where I, I might not know what I'm talking about. No, but no. I've seen so many ships drop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll save that for hot takes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I was about to say that what you're describing reminds me of your game with Kelorn last week, where uh, it was two Goliaths, two giant ships coming at each other with a bunch of squads. Who's going to come out on top? And the answer was both sides of the coin. Like your squads clearly dominated the airspace, but when it came down to engaging the actual ship. Um, the Starhawk, uh, at least the way that Kalorn has built built it out, 
is just massive and it was a serious undertaking. Um, so no, that's, I'm, that's really interesting that you said that. Um, well, moving on here towards the end, just to, so we can start moving into one of our main topics for today. Um, can you give me a list of all the the areas that you're putting out content? I kind of want to know, uh, what spaces you've got stuff out on. So I'm, I'm, Exclusive to YouTube. I don't uh, post my stuff anywhere else currently. I do have a Facebook page, but I usually use that just to keep people updated um, on what's like just for uh, advertisement purposes to let people know, hey, a new uh, bat rep is up or a new podcast up or a stream is up. And also using that for base for creating the events for our local uh, tournament series, the Ozark Mountain Tournament Series now, using that for the primary event creation. But YouTube is where all my content sits um, at the moment and probably will stay that way. Uh, I, I'm not into like TikTok or Instagram or anything like that. So I probably won't expand out to those areas. You don't want to do an Armada based TikTok channel? That sounds awesome. Uh, oh, no. My, my, and the thing is, my daughter. I'm, I'm literally loves covering my, hand, my face uh, right now with my hand. My daughter uh, keeps trying to tell me to do it, but I, I can't stand TikTok, but she loves TikTok. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do it. No, <laughs> no. Just, to complete, yeah. just, to, just, to, just to, because not, I'm a content creator. Like I have content literally everywhere. There's probably content in places that I forgot even existed. Trust me, spend some time on the platform, let the algorithm do its magic, and it'll pull you into your side of TikTok where it's like, oh, okay, this is great. Because, yeah, that initial for you page is just like, what? But is but I feel my age, it's it's aging faster. How? <laughs> so definitely give it a chance. Give it a chance. <laughs> well, so on on that, um, you did a a special commentary on uh, the Texas Open that we hosted down here uh, in Houston a few weeks ago, and so that's a lot of what what, what we want to bring you in to talk about today is uh, kind of analyze the tournament. Uh, get a feel for uh, a lot of the things that came out of the tournament, put a microscope down on some of the choices that were made in the top lists uh, and arrive at how we feel the meta is shifting. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah. So um, I have a general uh, faction spread that I kind of want to lay out for everybody. uh, And we can kind of talk about how we feel uh, about that stat. So it attendance was 19 people is pretty good. Uh, this side of the pandemic, um, we had seven rebels, seven Imperials, three separatists and two Republic. Now I have opinions about why the numbers shake out this way, but I'm interested to see what everyone here thinks, um, is the reason why we're, we're still seeing a prevalent, uh, galactic civil war uh, bias and not so much the newer factions who would you like to go first julia go ahead man well before 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 we even get to that and i because i gotta stop you right there so in the past what has been the meta because if we're talk- gonna talk about meta shift we gotta at least talk about hey this is how it's usually been around so where we are where are we going <laughs> so that's a, a, a difficult question to answer because we got our model 1.5 and then we got the pandemic and I don't feel like we've ever gotten, there has been a meta 
that's developed since pre 1.5 release. I mean, like when you really think about it, I just, you know, you, you can talk about where was Armada before 1.5 was released, before the upgrade card pack got released, before, uh, you know, Wave 8 and stuff, and the Clone Wars. But since that point, I don't think there has been a meta. So it's more of a, like, how is does the meta keep moving around? Because it really hasn't settled. It's interesting. Like, this is actually one of the, one of the first times you and I met Paul was at a tournament hosted in, in San Antonio, February of 2020. Um, the Onager had just been released. The Starhawk had just been released. We were all kind of jazzed about what this was going to do to the meta, what's going to happen. And then a month later, Worlds is canceled. Uh, all the other tournaments we had in Texas is canceled. Later that year, um, you know, the the two new factions are released. The 1.5 rules are released. They totally change how one of the defense tokens works. Um, and then later that year we get wave 10. And so the only information we have is online tournaments, which only gives you so much information for how the game plays on the table uh, competitively. So I, I totally agree. We really haven't arrived at exactly what, um, what is competitive up to this point? Like we're starting to get these larger tournaments. We're starting to get some better turnout. Um, and we're starting to see some things mold and shift. And that's, that's one big reason why we wanted to launch the podcast is talk about some of these initial big, uh, events and tournaments and how the meta is shifting. Cause I really do think it's still very amorphous, you know? And, Downsize it. So you stated earlier that you weren't really big into the tournament space. So in the casual space, would you say that there is anything resembling a meta or are you on the same page with these guys or what's your take? Uh, so from like a casual space, I would say no, at least especially in my area. We, we like playing a lot of um, a lot of times when we played, uh, we, we would just put together some like whack fleets or like thematic fleets, um, trying things out just for fun. Um, and, and really largely just trying to go like thematic or narrative when we do the build. So it's kind of, when it comes to that kind of casual play, I don't think there is a meta and I don't think there should be. Um, although I didn't play competitively, I did, um, I, I, I watched lots of YouTube videos and watched a lot of uh, tournament streams for the years that I didn't play Armada. Um, so I was able to actually see how the, uh, the, the meta shifted from the very beginning all the way through. But I will. Uh, I do want to agree with uh, your point when you were saying that you feel like there has not been a meta since 1.5, and that it continues to shift. And I would agree with that as well. I feel like somebody comes out with something that surprises the field and just blows people out of the water. And then a counter comes out, and that, and then people, and then it shifts again, and it shifts again, and it shifts again. It hasn't been stable, and. From my own perspective, I think that's a sign of a well-balanced game. Now, I know Armada's not perfect. I know I, I see it all the time in my own comments, and I see it uh, that commented elsewhere that people say Armada's broken or whatever. It is not broken. There are some balance issues, but from a, where it was pre-1.5 to where it is now, that Armada is one of the, I think, most well-made games that I've ever played, and I think it's a good sign that the meta has not stabilized and that it continues to shift. Point 100%. to any 
but point to any system and and say it's balanced and i'll point to you a liar <laughs> go ahead fox my bad <laughs> yeah no i that's i think that's 100 percent accurate um when and, and we're seeing it where it, it's fleshing itself out particularly in texas we've been really bold with a lot of our tournament play particularly during the pandemic to you know however you feel about that but i mean last year what dominated the tournament scene was sloniger over and over and over again and going into this year the big question was um has anybody adapted the clone wars factions to compete with the fleets that have been very very prevalent up to this point and does sloniger make a comeback um are other people it is the onager as uh, dominant as people say it is? Um, and I think w- when looking at the faction spread, what I believe is I think this is this is uh, evidence of comfortability. I think a lot of people are just still really, really comfortable with um, with the rebels and with Imperials. And there's a lot of pieces and a lot of different answers. And a lot of people are used to fleet building with that. And they understand uh, a lot of the, a lot of the pieces that go into building a competitive list, I think uh, Gar and Separatists are coming into their own right now, especially after rapid reinforcements. Um, but uh, I think we've yet to see some people really grab hold of those factions and take them as far as they can go. And so, just for clarification for the audience, Sloninger is literally the Oninger with Sloan. That's just the slang that that's has it. been developed for this combo. Pretty, because yeah, that's pretty much it. Trust me. They said it a million times before my brain finally connected. It was like, oh, it's the combo of the ship with the, oh, okay. So you're going to hear a lot of random slang terms thrown around. I'll probably have a little glossary off on the side somewhere, maybe in the future for future reference. <laughs> Juliet Whiskey, the urban dictionary of our podcast right here. Yeet. <laughs> so I guess one of the things that I keep thinking about Fox is that and why I think that you're going to see rebel and Imperials be the primary factions that are, are winning these larger tournaments is that the Republican and, and separatists are still incomplete. They're incomplete factions. They don't have the toolbox. And while I fully believe that there are good lists in those, those toolbox in, in those factions, but Without the toolboxes to put together a, a list that is complete against a bunch of things, you're dependent on the matchups that you get and being able to dominate certain other matchups. So I, I guess I feel like it's a lot harder to build out a well-rounded list with the, the newer factions than it is with the older factions. And so good players are going to default to the lists where they can be well-rounded. I would argue, so I think you're, I think you're partially correct, and I would argue that really what it is is rebels and imperials are a faction that can achieve tens more readily uh, because of what you're describing, because of matchups. Like in a tournament setting, they can get the nine twos, they can get the ten ones readily. I don't think uh, republic or separatists really have the capacity to readily get nines and tens i think they can but i don't think you can go into a tournament 
and readily expect to table your opponent with the types of uh, the levels of engagement that you get where uh, Gar is very, very held back and tanky and they want they want to invite you in and separatists are very much, uh, I think, uh, reach out and touch somebody with the amount of red dice that they've got. I don't think that those two, uh, where the entire faction plays that way, I don't think those two are very conducive for tablings. And I think that's the problem. And I think high-level players maybe know that and aren't willing to put in the amount of time and effort and risk a, a major tournament win based on you know these factions that really aren't competing that way. Yeah, I think uh, the the primary point you put there is the level of risk for really competitive players. Uh, it, this has been the, this way since the beginning, and it's still the same way. But Imperials are the easiest faction to play, still. It's a very simple playset and the very simple style. Rebels are definitely the next easiest. They're just a little more complicated. Um, Separatists and Republic are extremely complicated to play, especially if you want to get their full potential. But I, you know, I maintain that Separatists and Republic have a higher potential than Imperials and Rebels do to completely steamroll, but your um, margin of error is ultra small. You can't make any mistakes. Um, with an Imperial list, like a, like a Sloan list, I mean, you can make mistakes all over the board and still win because it's very forgiving. With a separatist like TF list or a Gar Arc Swarm with speed list, um, if you mess up your activation order or your token play, you you just destroyed your entire game plan. Um, but just in practicing against some of these new uh, Arc Swarms that can move fast, uh, you know I played against Alan Stelly, but also our local guy here, Aaron. He's been uh, playing out with uh, these fast moving Arc Swarms. I, I haven't figured out how to beat it yet. And, but he's brain dead after the first game that we play. So I don't know if you can maintain that level of concentration you need for four rounds. Um, oh, sorry. I, I got to hop in because I am a Republic player. Like if I came in right as the Republic <laughs> became a thing. And yeah, by freaking by second match of a tournament, I'm fried. Like, just trying to do token management, just trying to make sure I'm getting my activation right, just trying to make sure all these little individual things fall into place for whatever dumb plan I got to go happen correctly. It, it, it's, it is, it's like playing 4D chess sometimes with myself. <laughs> yes, yeah. And that Sloaniger list that Valadian kicked that crap out of everybody last year, you know, I, I interviewed him after he won, I think, Warzone. And he said that list was ultra easy to run. You just play navs and squads on the quasar and and just sit and play the game. You don't have to think about anything. Whereas trying to play uh, a list with, you know, like a, a, a victory or a venator and a couple of peltas and, you know, five to six arcs, in order to make that work right, I mean, you have to have tokens going this way. And that, remember your... Uh, uh, the one to move, I forget what it is, move your squads whenever a ship activates. And it, it, it's so complicated that playing one game, I think 1v1, only one game, I think that beats a Sloniger nine times out of 10. But if you face Sloniger your fourth game, you're so brain dead, you're, you're going to make mistakes. And then this easy to play Sloan list will then, you know, 
be able to take advantage of your mistakes with ease. Your mistakes with ease. Yeah, one so, slip up is all it takes. <laughs> so I, w- I want to dig into to the that concept in in tournaments here in just a second, but uh, we also want to talk about the, you know the top four lists in in TXO. But before uh, Fox runs us through those lists, I downsize it. When you were streaming TXO, what was going through your mind with the with looking at the watching the the standings as the games progressed? Uh, uh, streaming the content on the top table what were you think what were the the things that really stood out to you on an overall level from the tournament as somebody that wasn't there in the middle so the the main thing i noticed was going from round two onward when we had uh let's see when we had um ryan uh, bazerto i guess riarzer he did the uh um the onager with the uh with a squad ball and um, the Raider and Sunder. Don't forget Sunder with Screed. Sunder. Right. He had Sunder. Yes. It was a screed list. And what I found was interesting for the first two matchups he faced, his opponent didn't gun for the Onager. He, he, they played keep away. Basically like his first opponent was against the superstar destroyer. And uh, the SSD didn't go right at the Onager and just playing navs and just run right at him. He let the onager snipe him for the whole game. And the same thing sort of happened in the second match, although it was a little bit more interesting because it was a Sloan list with an ISD. That was a far more interesting uh, match to watch because I, I really like seeing two good squad plays go back and forth. But it wasn't until round four, which was your game, Paul, and even though, I mean, again, your list is just really nasty, but you did win against the honor the way you're supposed to. Is you supposed to rush it? And every time I watch someone play an honor, I've only ever seen it once, and it was your game. Watching someone else do it, they always you know dance around the honor. They're scared of it. They're intimidated by it. I don't know what it is, but and and this is here's a hot take for you. the honor. I don't think is op. I think it's a little bit imbalanced, but it's very easy to beat. If oh you just gosh. are not scared about scared of it and you rush it, yeah, every I cannot time. believe you just said that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> my feet! Every time I try to rush it, I can just get mauled. <laughs> I, I believe exactly. Now, of course, I am talking out of my ass because I've only played against an honor competitively once, and so I have not played it enough times to actually see. You know, I guess you say a true master at the helm. So come down to Texas. There's plenty of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's well, I, I'm sure I'll see. I hope I get to play some this Saturday. And uh, the Texas Open online and in Lone Star. I really want to face one for real and put my ma- my money where my mouth is. Yeah. Um, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, I think Onager is overrated. I think a lot of it is the intimidation factor. Uh, but and moving into, so you talked a little bit if, about. If I might, real quick, I just want to give a quick example of this, um, of the intimidation factor. Um, on our Ozark Mountain Open that we had last year, the first the first match, and I think this was the second game that I streamed. I think it was second top table. Um, two of our local guys, Trent, he was actually trying Valadian's uh, Sloaniger. He brought that. And my other friend, Aaron, he was running Republic. He was running a triple um, um, acclimator with uh, a lot of squads. And they had actually practiced it against each other a couple times before the tournament. And the Republic player beat the Salonager player every time because he would rush him every time. But when he got on stream and on top table, he got nervous and he got scared and he slow rolled it and got demolished. So there's a huge like, you know, 
nerve factor intimidation factor that went into play in that specific scenario where he'd actually beaten this guy before twice. <laughs> but it was funny in the moment though, he, it just, the nerves and everything racked up. And instead of doing what he should have done, just run speed three right at the onager and just kill it. He played it slow and just got picked off from range for the entire game. Yeah, it, it makes a difference. It People don't like when, when you're in the moment competitively, you don't really realize, okay, well, if I'm exactly out of this arc, it's like the onager isn't even there. Um, or at like, they don't think about the length of the board, you know, uh, it's only three feet, which is three range rulers. They don't really think about, you know, if something's moving towards me, I'm going to meet it if I'm going speed three. Um, but so I want to dive, that's, I want to dive in. Go, go ahead. That's easy for y'all with ships that actually, you know, fly. The Republic <laughs> is like flying bricks. <laughs> yeah, you can throw some bricks at an onager. That's fine. Yeah, but yeah, the thing but is, you can still go speed three. The disadvantages are fleets like Akbar fleets that only go speed two. That's a real challenge um, because you can't actually rush the onager and get it to its flanks. Um, but even a Republic, yeah, you're very unmaneuverable, but you can still go speed three. Just run navs, get in its face by turn two, then start slowing down. And if you split your fleet, just do a V formation. It has to turn one way or the other, so you, your other half of your fleet will be in its flanks. And yeah, you'll lose probably a ship or two, but after that, the Onager just dies. It, onagers die real fast once you get to their side arcs. That's exactly right. Well, hey, let's let's dig into these top four fleets, because uh, we have uh, a couple things I want to point out, because all of them are very interesting. Starting with um, fourth place, uh, Ryan uh, Handel Rickash. Uh, he flew Sloan, that, that Sloan list that you were talking about with uh, an ISD, a Quasar, a very classic Sloan fleet. Um, I want to jump in, in here and say for a minute that he was famous for playing Sloan 2-ship. Or for, yes. or, excuse me, for playing, playing Sloan and, and playing Thrawn 2-ship back in the day. So this is like his comfort zone. This is bread and butter for Ryan, absolutely. Um but Sloan on the ISD-2, expert shield tech says the officer. And then he's got the, the local fire control flat guns combo, which I love on an ISD-2. Uh, just being able to flat, being able to salvo at long with all your dice, it's so surprising sometimes uh, shooting at that ship. Uh, a Quasar with a standard squall loadout with flight controllers, expanded hangar bay. A single Gazanti. Uh, and then 127 points of squads. Specifically, what's important, though, is his inclusion of Howl Runner and three TIE Interceptors. Uh, he throws in the new Darth Vader Defender and uh, Merrick and Jinden, of course. So I want y'all's opinion on uh, Downsize It, maybe specifically you, about this squad makeup. Everyone's been talking about uh, um, fire sprays, and you have to beat the PDIC uh, ghoul that's floating around in the meta. Like, oh, PDIC is so overpowered. Uh, it looks like Ryan looked that straight in the face and said, okay, well, I'm just going to absolutely wipe out your squads with my superior firepower, and um, I don't care that you're going to re-roll these dice over and over and over again. Eventually, I'm going to peel off some tokens, you know? 
So the one thing I, I cannot comment on is PDICs because nobody runs it around here <laughs> in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, so it's actually not that big of a thing. But I will say, if I were to run a Sloan list, this would be my Sloan list. I love this. I love the Imperial 2 Quasar Gazanti with a bunch of squads. I mean, I, I run this with Thrawn. Just, I would just you know swap out the type of squads I'm using if I'm using a Sloan. So I, I love this build. And in any Sloan build, you want, you're going to have light squads. You definitely want to have Hellrunner for sure to maximize your anti-squad potential. Then you have your, your new heavy hitter um, uh, trio of Jendon, Vader, Merrick to do your actual damage to ships. And yeah, I, there's not a lot I can say about this that I haven't said many, many times. I just love ha this the basic setup of this. And if I were to ever run a Sloan list at a tournament, it would be this. The only thing I would really change is maybe a squad or two and... Um, instead of point defense, ion cannons, and link to relation towers, I'll just go to my old classic that I love, which is leading shots XI-7s. Other than that, you know, I love this. Yeah, or SW-7s, because I love me some salvo with SW-7s on that ISD-2. That yeah, guaranteed, guaranteed damage. And, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so surprising that, you know, it's a lot of shots that you get at long range. I'm going to be doing more damage than you uh, back at you. Um, so. And the nice thing about Sloan to counter point defense ion cannons, yes, it it does help you to defend against it. But even if you're rerolling, you're what is I, I'm not that good with math. But even if you're rerolling an interceptor or a tie fighter coming in, I think it's a, you still got a seventy five percent chance of getting something you want. So you're going to get that extra or a hit more times than not. So yeah, reroll odds are I'm still going to get what I want. Well, you're, you're um, past the point where you can spend the accuracy. So the accuracy is the PDS. Oh, that's that's true. Is, that's true. That's true. So it is a 50% chance, yeah. but yeah. So but still blue dice, blue dice rerolling isn't terrible. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's well, not PDS doesn't help you against Sloan spending your tokens. If you get the accuracy right away. So, right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, PDICs are good and we can talk about them kind of in more depth, but I, I do think the Sloan mitigates that to a degree. Uh, Fox, I guess what, what, what were your thoughts here when you looked at Ryan's list and uh, he, he really struggled against Ryan Bizzardo's, uh list. Uh, not, I think so much because he, I don't think he thought he could win, but he, he, there was enough of Ryan Bizzardo had enough squads that he didn't want to to engage it. Like it, he he played it very safe, uh, as I recall from the stream, right? Right, but Ben. Yeah, he he, yeah. The, it was one of the, the the squad battle was interesting, but it didn't engage until late. And when you have two fire sprays and tell in there, I, I mean, uh, uh, Ryan uh, Bazerto's squadrons were more meaty, but if he would have gotten in there early, he could have. You know, he, he has the, you know, like flight controllers for the extra dice. He has how, how run up for extra dice. He has the swarm rerolls and he could have won that squad battle. If he would have been engaged fast. And my only other criticism, I, I, I just want to preface this. I should have said this to start. I'm totally armchair quarterbacking here. When you're in the moment, it's totally different, but I, I would have ran my ISD two right down the throat of that onager and, uh, I think I win that fight um, and just maybe just playing engineering's 
and just use, you know, a ramming or something to slow myself down. But at ISC2 wins against an Onager every time one on one. So just tie up his squads with my squads and then just run right at that Onager and just blast it out of the sky. I think I think you're absolutely right. I th- I think if you delay like like Ryan did, um, the Onager or the Onager takes apart your Quasar really quick, um, and so you're risking by delaying uh, him just getting 72 points off the board without any really serious engagement. I think at this point they they matched up in round three in a four round tournament. Uh, Bizzardo with his Onager was much further ahead in the field than everybody else. I think Ryan was making sure he held on to as many tournament points as possible. I don't think he thought he could have done enough damage to the Onager and the Corvus Raider that, that uh, the, the, the lifeboat. I think that's the issue is he thought if he had totally engaged with all of these uh, rogues that Bizzardo was carrying around with him. I mean, he had, like you said, he had fire sprays, he had tell, he had Vader, uh, he had Jind and Merrick, which is like half of collectively their one, uh, uh, their one rogue, basically. Uh, I think he's afraid that if he fully engages the Onager, then, um, you know, he has a chance of losing and not being able to move forward in the fourth round. That is a lot of the thought there, like in, in a, in an isolated space, like in a, you and I are playing on a tabletop, like in the kitchen. Heck yeah. I'm going speed three with that ISD and you have some problems to solve my friend. Uh, but in a tournament setting where it's round three and both of y'all are obviously top table, like there's a lot to consider and a lot to think about. And I think Ryan maybe got into his own head in that matchup. But that that's all that's actually a very good point. That actually probably was a high level strategic call on his part cuz now that you point that out cuz if you see how it played out in the end, he got fourth place. Uh so he it looks like he played for the safe loss and then went for round 4 to get the points he needed to maintain a top level placement. That's exactly right. Yep, and then you look at fifth place and there's Bizzardo with his Onager. Um, so yeah, sometimes you got to make those calls when you get up to the top tables in those later rounds is strategic losing. Paul and I talk about that a lot. Um, you want to move on to, uh, to Jason's list? I do actually. Um, because this is super interesting. Um, this is Jay Palmini, uh, uh, Jason in Houston typically, uh, became really, really famous with his double onager fleet last year, but he broke out a uh, Rebel MSU fleet, uh, Riken with CR-90s galore, and a bunch of uh, rogues, and it's it's a mess. It's absolutely chaotic. Like, he's got slicer tools. He's got the old slicer tool Quantum Storm in there. Um, he's got three CR-90 turbo laser reroute circuits, uh, he's got fighter coordination team on one of them, which is just, I, I mean, he obviously had a plan for this and I love that he did so well. And it's an interesting meta call, um, keeping these pieces on the board long enough to make an impact, keeping these rogues on the board long enough to make an impact. He also had one VCX in there, which makes a difference. We'll talk about VCXs here in a minute. 
when we get to the number one fleet. But um, this is such an interesting meta call. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to hear y'all's takes on this. I'll say I loved seeing this fleet when we were, I didn't get to watch it, unfortunately, unfortunately, but when Rob and I were reviewing all the, all the fleets, this gave me a big dose of nostalgia. This is pre 1.5 pre Riken nerf, like, you know, a couple years after Armada first came out. Um, this from me watching online tournaments and watching, um, other content creators, Riken was a nightmare for people. And he was, I mean, for a few years, it was Riken rebel fleets that were dominating the tournament spaces. Nobody could beat them. And, uh, and I just love seeing this and I hoped it would have done well. And I'm glad it did well because even though Riken isn't as broken as he was in the past, he, if you plan it right, he can be extraordinarily frustrating to play against, especially if you do your activations in the right order to where you think, oh, I'm going to take this CR90 off the board. I'm going to one-shot it. Well, no, he's not dead yet. He still gets to do all his things um, until the end of the round. And I just loved it from a nostalgia standpoint. I remember seeing these all over the place when I would watch um, Worlds and National streams way back in you know like 2015 and 2016. So what's interesting here is that for me is less the fleet itself and more of the way that he got to the third place. And to begin with as he state, he, he had small wins in rounds one and two uh, and even in round three. And then he got a really big win in round four and jumped a huge number of places. Uh, so uh, whereas the other lists that were in the top all kind of played each other, Jason didn't. Jason played, uh, you know, a bunch, a, a bunch of different people, and then jumped up in the uh, after the last round. So it was interesting to me that he uh, that this this is where like the the concept of what are your matchups come into play, and like who are you playing against? Because had Jason played somebody that he had was going had gotten a really big win with turn in in the first round i think that that could have changed how this the outcome of this tournament had gone that's a really interesting point yeah and i'm going back and looking through the rounds now yeah he had he he all of his wins were he actually had a loss but it was a good loss so he had an average win he had a good loss then another like halfway decent win and it was all just enough like you said, so he didn't have to play any of the top lists. And then round four, he got a, a really nice win um, to put him up to third. But that's actually an interesting point. Um, that He had basically had average games until round four. Which, which brings us to our second place, because they had also a totally different experience in the tournament, which I want to talk about. Uh, the, uh, our other Jason, Jason Girth, um, he's flying a Mahdi list, a three activation Mahdi list with a Kuat, a Testbed, and a Gazanti, and then he's got Jindim, Merrick, Tell, and Vader in the Defender. Um, and on the Kuat and the Testbed, he's uh, kitted it out specifically uh, with reinforced blast doors on both of them. He's got Tua and uh, Minister Tua and reinforced blast doors on the test bed. He's got reinforced blast doors on the Kuat. So you're looking at, 
I mean, what is that? That 17 hole uh, on that Kuat uh, with Mahdi. It's absolutely atrocious. Combined with PDICs, um, this thing is, and Brunson, this thing is going to live a long, long, long time, and it's going to harass you the entire time. On top of that, with the test bed behind it and these these uh, these rogues just constantly harassing you. Um, uh, Jason, this Jason, had a totally different tournament experience because he met up with the eventual winner of the tournament in round one and lost 9-2. And then uh, just... I mean, did he get, he got tens. He trolled the depths. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> he submarined the heck out of that. He got tens and nines galore every round after. And he just, and, and I, I knew it was going to happen the second after um, your game with him, because I told you this, I was like, man, this fleet is a fleet that could submarine like no other. Because you get a solid, if you lose really, really badly in the first round, it kind of stinks. You would think it would take you out of the running. Clearly it didn't. It got him all the way up to second place. But, I mean, this fleet is hard to table. There are not many fleets that can put out this amount of damage. Regardless of of him having him not having electronic countermeasures or anything like that. What's this, funny is he faced both of the SSDs. Yeah, and, and tabled both of them. Yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. That that talk about perfect matchups. Uh, even if he didn't have the onager, let's say it was like a, a even a victory, but an, a kuat and an onager with the squads he have against SSDs. That's just like thank you. I'll take this over um, and over and over again. Yeah. And it was one of those probably the best thing that could have happened to him was face you first off, Paul, and get that horrible loss. We, we, we talked about that quite a bit. And it was funny because Jason, after our game, was like, what did I do wrong? I was like, you didn't do anything wrong. You just faced a fleet that really you didn't want to face. And then after that, he just munched on people he did want to face. Yeah, I, I can only imagine if he had, you know, round one in a, in a four-round tournament. I can only imagine if he had the presence of mind or just thought like, hey, if I just run or if I can make sure you don't engage me like and guarantee a six, five or even like a, a smaller loss. I know it'd be really difficult with the amount of deployments that you have. Um, but imagine how much different this tournament is for him. You know, just he did, he did excellent. He's a play. He's a great guy and he hasn't had a very, very large tournament win. And for him to do this well with this fleet, I was floored by it. Uh, I'm, I'm super happy with his performance, but moving on, to the number one fleet, uh, sitting in this digital room, uh, Kellorn with his Starhawk, uh, just absolutely gross makeup of a gate, Walix, expert shield techs, uh, no PDICs. You took the risk with the high capacity ion turbines, and I think it pays off. Link Turbo Laser Towers, Unity, two GR75s, and just a boatload of rogues, and two VCXs, which plays into your objectives. And I want you to kind of cover, um, talk about that a little bit. So we talked a little bit earlier about how, you know, uh, the newer factions struggle with getting large amounts of tournament points. And 
this is something that I struggled with. It, we just got done playing a big online tournament called the Battle for Hoth on Armada Tabletop. And there was 56 people that played in Armada Tabletop and uh, or in the Battle for Hoth, excuse me. And I, I ended up going four and one in five rounds. And in every single one of my four wins, I got a seven. And I, it was extraordinarily frustrating that I would win so many games and be like 12th or 13th or something like that out of 56. Not because I wasn't, because I wasn't winning games. It was because I was not winning them by enough. So when I sat down to talk, to think about Texas open, I really wanted to think about, okay, what are the ways that I can get more tournament points and guarantee bigger wins? And so I wanted to think about objectives. Well, when you look at my objectives, I, I, I literally can't describe how awful looking at my objectives is and saying, and having to pick one of them because in, in fire lanes and sensor nets, because of my VCXs, I'm just going to farm points. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of theoretically around 250 to 275 points uh, over the course of the game are things that I'm going to farm with those, those objectives. So you have to find a way to beat me and overcome 280 points of tokens, or you can give maybe the worst, ship in the game two shots at the same target every turn with advanced gunnery and you know jason girth outbid me but everybody else had to make that decision and everybody else had to face the consequences of of what that really became so i guess i'm curious ben when you saw this fleet did you did did the objectives catch your eye right away or what, what what at what point did you see the objectives that went went with it uh, I actually uh, saw the objectives a little earlier because Alan sent them to me. So when I was, I didn't, I was able to see the fleets with objectives, but I didn't, you know, obviously talk about with Rob. I didn't want to give anything away. And this was, they, I mean, they were nasty. I was like, this is, these are all, these are both horrible choices, or all three horrible choices. And you know, now that I've actually played, I mean, I, I want to play against this again, maybe another time, because I think it is beatable, but you, you, it's one of those you have to play it multiple times to figure it out. But when you sing it for the first time in a tournament, you're going to get wrecked. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, unless, I guess I should say that you you then played against it uh, on your uh, when, we, when we streamed it. Yes. Streamed it. And, and I played against it with one of my Thrawn builds I'm considering. I, I didn't want to tech towards it. So I just played one of the fleets I had put together I'm considering. And, you know, and, and I got trounced. I, I think if I... It's one of those where if I tech towards either trying to outbid you, which uh, I don't know if I can do, my OCD would break. But tech towards taking lambdas myself. And I, I don't know. That, that might be a way. But I, I do want to point out if, uh, something, though, that you mentioned. Uh, where I ha- do have to agree where the Republic and the Separatists have a severe disadvantage because they're incomplete. And AMG really needs to fix this. And they can, they could fix this with like a, a rapid reinforcements too. They need the strategic keyword. Since they don't have the strategic keyword, that is a huge handicap to them. And it also vastly limits their reliable objectives that they can pick uh, for themselves, let alone picking an opponent's objectives. I, I, that's really funny you said that because I agree. If if you gave the separatists a strategic squadron, I think they immediately become the the premier objective play faction. I really do. 
because objectives like fire lanes, the sheer amount of red dice they're throwing, now you don't have to worry about those tokens getting moved around. You can move them yourself. Um, I, I think that makes them a very, very strong uh, faction. Like with Republic, you pick, pick something like this, like Paul had with the Republic fleet with just a bunch of arcs and like a tank Venator with Tranquility. And you're like, and you do a high enough bid where they have to pick your missions, and you basically just sit back and be like, all right, you have to come get me and fly into my arc wall. Good luck. So I, Joe, I want to pause for a second and talk to Jovan here because we haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, Jovan, when you looked at these things from the turn, this tournament, what stru- uh, stuck out to you as a newer player about the, the lists and the way the tournament played out? I've made a horrible mistake in picking Republic. <laughs> oh no oh no my republic it's fallen <laughs> it, it, uh, i get it republic is new i get it republic's toolbox trust me i that's one of the things that everybody keeps saying is republic's toolbox is not complete and even playing it time and time again it's not even when i sit down to try to build a list i'm like i don't i don't have enough tools to really engage with the vast majority of threats coming at me and yeah, I get it. I'm still a rookie and I still got time to learn. And like, for instance, even the, uh, Oninger situation where you definitely want to rush it as a rookie and looking at my ships and going, these things can't turn. That's a huge risk for me to pump in, you know, speed three and try to jump on this guy. Cause then I might not be able to keep it on the board. It's a complete possibility for me, but really it's just kind of, it's, it's, it is that kind of disappointing ping of pain just to see be like, yo, we are not doing well <laughs> as a, uh, as a faction at this time. I, d- I do want to say, I want to chime in as someone who mains one of the newer factions. Um, I do think a lot of it is alternative play style. I do think a lot of it is, um, like I mentioned earlier, people aren't willing to take the time to learn how to fly these things. We haven't had ships that have arc lines like the Recusant. Uh, we haven't had ships that can throw five blue dice at long, but have no ion cannon slot. Like there are so many things that we're having to relearn with these factions. And I do think they are viable. I really do. Uh, I think a, a very, very good player could take these, factions and do very very well at high level play i do think I, I, though that it's it's a it's a it's a slog i think it's a long it, long uh, road you know and that's the that's one of the things that just kind of kills me the most is just like you know there's potential like even as a rookie i can see the potential i can see what is possible i just need one more ship or i just need a different keyword. I just need something to give me that competitive edge. Cause right now it is just a matter of, well, that was a really bad matchup for me. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do want to wrap the uh, wrap up a TXO discussion because we've gone a little bit on the long side and we have a couple more things that we want to cover this week. Uh, so I guess final thoughts from, from you Ben on, on TXO and maybe what, what you think that means for Armada going forward uh, on a bigger scale? Uh, my main thing that I've noticed 
from the different streams that I've commented on and then playing at LSO last year and Vegas this year is that it is going back to the beginning, a completely new list that did not, no one saw coming, took the top spot. It wasn't Sloniger. It wasn't the Oniger with two interdictors. Um, it's something new. So the meta has shifted again. Or it, it, I love how it's, it just proved to me personally watching how this played out that uh, the Armada meta is not set and that, you know, it's still up in the air what you bring, you could win. Even though, and if you bring what won last tournament, you might not actually do so well this tournament. And, uh, and now I will say, uh, if someone, I'm sure we'll see some quote unquote copycat list, Paul, of your fleet that won. But I know that there's people also planning on ways to beat it, to see it and beat it. So I, uh, I just like the fact that we're just in the, this hasn't been a full calendar year since LSO last year. And we've seen different lists win consistently and how it just continues to shift and change. Granted, it's still Imperial Rebels at the top. And I think, again, that comes down to ease of play and low risk. And uh, But to, to piggyback on what Fox says, I love the Republic. Once I, I Right now for competitive play, I'm bringing Thrawn just because I know them. I live them. I breathe them. I'm comfortable with them. But once I'm ready to start branching out to more challenging stuff, I'll be bringing Republic because I love the Republic. I love their style, and I love arcs. And uh, I want to make one of those lists work competitively. But for now, uh, I'm going just with because I'm comfortable with it. I'm still going with Thrawn for myself for the next couple tournaments. I think the thing the thing that I take away from this tournament, as someone who didn't go, the thing that I take from this tournament, um, the big things that stand out. Number one, I, I love what you said, Ben, about um, we've got new top fleets coming out in these premier level tournaments every single time and it proves that the game is still molding and shifting and morphing and i love it the meta hasn't settled uh number two there were three agate starhawk fleets in this tournament one went first one went seventh and one was dead last and so i think it's a testament to um every piece is viable but I don't think there are like overpowered pieces in the game right now. I really don't. Uh, the fact that one fleet could do very, very well with a piece and another fleet could be dead last in the tournament uh, speaks to that this is very much a player's game. It is a, a game that's defined by people willing to put in the time to consider the meta, to consider how the tournament's going to go and, and practice and uh, I think that's that's awesome. Like you said earlier, Ben, about uh, how the game plays and, and the, the reason why you like playing it. Like it, I think that's what makes this game amazing to come back to over and over again. So, alrighty. Well, uh, kind of speaking of where things are going, um, it was announced today that the next Worlds will take place in March of 2023 
at Adepticon in Chicago for Armada, X-Wing, and Legion altogether. There's no real word on details because this announcement was just today, uh, but I'm, I'm really hoping that there's going to be a play-in tournament the day before the main tournament because I personally don't have a Worlds invite and I've not been able to get to any of the tournaments this year so far that have had Worlds invites on the table. I, I did ask Karnak today if he was going to be the main TO for Adepticon next year since he was the uh, was the the TO this year, and he told me that uh, he can cannot confirm or deny that fact uh, through a GIF, I might add. Uh, so I guess, what are you guys' thoughts on Worlds being pushed back to 2023? Uh, I think we all kind of saw this coming because we didn't. They, they did say that they were going to have Worlds this year, but the longer it went on without an announcement, the, the more likely it seemed it was going to get pushed to 2023. What were your thoughts on this being announced today in the way that it was? I I like it. I like that they're they're waiting. I know a lot of people got impatient and they want content and they feel like we're not being supported. But I like the idea that um, there's still a lot of things shifting and rapid reinforcements changed a lot too. And we're still finding new things. The it gives one more year for the Clone Wars factions to develop and for players to get comfortable and confident uh, with these new factions. I like the idea of pushing this a year later. Um, and I think we've got a lot of exciting things coming, uh, which makes me even more excited for 2023. On the, from a business standpoint, it doesn't surprise me and it, and it's a smart decision. Um, AMG, I think still hasn't figured out how to handle Armada. Uh, they definitely, I mean, this has been talked to talked about ad infinitum that they were not ready to get these three massive properties dumped on them. And Armada is definitely their lowest priority. And it's the hardest one for them to figure out. So I think it gives them more time to figure it out. And I think it's also smart that they're piggybacking against a well-known, well-established event that is Adepticon. And they don't have to worry about the infrastructure. They don't have to worry about the, the foundations of putting a con together or anything. And, uh, at least in the United States, Chicago is a relatively central location. So I think it's a good business decision on their point, on their part, just so that gives them time to get ready and to utilize Adepticon's infrastructure that's already in place. Jovan, from as a newer player, what what is what is what comes to your mind when you think when we talk about that they announced Worlds being uh, being in play next year? Oh, we're going full full rookie status. Um, full rookie status. If that the fact that Worlds is still happening is great news. That's the sign of a game that's alive. You know, <laughs> it's a sign that I didn't just you know spend all this money and all of a sudden it just falls off the face of the earth. So the fact that it's still happening is great. The fact that if for those who don't know, there have been some business moves in the background causing this game to shift hands to, like you said, a company that doesn't really know what to do with it. It gives them time to figure it the heck out while we figure it the heck out. So like I said, to me, it's good news. I'm excited. And it also gives us some more time to pump out some content in between here and there to be like, yo, we'll be letting y'all know what's happening then. (laughs) Fair enough. So uh, this is uh, our, our last segment of the day. It's uh, called, do you think? And uh, it's a, Juliet, uh, why don't you uh, what, lead us off in in the, the these uh, hot take questions? I guess is the way to put them. Hot take time, baby! Hot take, hot take, hot take. Hold on, let me get there. Let me get there. All right, all right, all right. Downsize it. You ready? 
You just want to unmute now, just because I'm gonna ask it. You just go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm ready. The question, the question is: Starhawks should they be speed three, and Oninger's speed two? Uh, no, Starhawks should not be speed three. Uh, I think speed two is a good spot for them. If they went speed three, they'd be too oppressive. And Oninger's, I think it would be interesting. If the test bed were speed two, but the starter story was speed three to kind of show how it's now a fully designed ship and fully capable ship. And of course, more expensive, whereas the test bed will be treated more like an actual, you know, artillery piece. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. You're telling me, I know, I know we're after speaking. you just <laughs> got is. blown to smithereens by a Starhawk that you don't want it going 50% faster towards you. Is that what you're implying? I am implying that, yes, and, and I also don't want it to be given speed three and a support officer because we don't need an engine teching either. That's the stuff <laughs> of nightmares, a speed four. <laughs> oh, and a defensive retrofit. I think we should add that to make it a 300-point ship. <laughs> Jesus. Hey. Robofat just had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. I want to get everybody's take, but... We have to wrap up, so we're going to move on to Kelorn. Kelorn, sorry. So, you're muted. You ready? You ready, Boo Boo? All right. I am ready. I am. I was born ready. You were born ready. You had a chance to read this, so I know it's been like stewing in your soul. All venators are bad venators. I mean, are they? Venators are crap ships, and they just are wannabe uh, Imperial Star Destroyers, right? Oh, why do you have to attack me like that? Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, that's the core of my fleet. Like, ah. So, so I, I'll, I've got, I'll put it this way. Like, Venators for me are a ship that is, that they're begging to be versatile, but I feel like they're really locked into what they are. You've got a Venator 1 that I, I honestly think that the Venator one is just in a bad spot right now, just in general. Like I don't really know that the Venator one is a, a, a ship that is worth taking uh, in most fleets. The Venator two is in a, in a, in a pretty decent spot, but it, because it's got five squadron, it's just begging to be a carrier. Um, and so alt- alternatively you can put fats on it and you can, and you can give it tranquility and make it really tough. But it's not as tough as a star destroyer, even if with tranquility. It's it, trust me, it's just not as tough as a star destroyer as a, a imperial IST. And I, I think that people have gotten into this idea that ven- that, that venators are difficult to kill because of things like thermal sh- uh, thermals and and tranquility. But at the end of the day, I don't think they're as tough as people want to be- want you to believe that they are. And and so in that sense, I guess. All venators are bad venators. You 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 leave my venator alone, sir. <laughs> you you have hurt her feelings. <laughs> Fox, you you were trying to say something. I the, <laughs> I think. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start with this. I I, I literally just stomped on every gar player out there. Let me tell you, I, don't betray me, Fox. Don't I don't betray think, me. I think. Oh, man. I think a heavily weighed down Venator is a bad Venator, but I think... Um, how uh, many Venators have you seen that aren't Christmas treed to hell? Yeah. Answer that, me that. Like, that's the how problem. many of them have you seen? That, that aren't Christmas treed out? 
None. I've seen none that don't have at 90% of all of their upgrade slots filled. And it drives me nuts. Like, you have to fly spats. You have to do... You don't. You don't have to do that. You can make them, you know, naked boys just flying around. Th- giant. What they are, they're giant bricks. Let them do brick things. Let them build a wall or break a window in a riot. Like, this... I don't understand the obsession with... Uh, a Venator has to do 15 things, or you have to have clone gunners and clone navigation officer and Sfats. And no, you don't, because Sfats aren't going to kill a ship. They really aren't. They're gonna they're gonna look scary, but that's not what's going to kill a ship. And I think uh-huh. it drives me nuts when people say that. So I'm taking notes. Uh-huh. That's my take. No, no, no. Keep going. I'm taking notes. This is real good uh- stuff. All right, here, here's a note. This is what you should do for your next tournament, and this is totally untested, so don't take it. But <laughs> put rapid launch bays on a Venator 2 with Plo Koon and drop four arcs and, a, and an adept on somebody. That'll do good, right? <laughs> please, please, please don't do that. Oh, my please God. Please don't do that. <laughs> Make sure you do a flight commander so you can actually drop after you move. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's saying don't do it, but I am reckless. I am a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> If you you don't know what I'm doing, if I don't know what I'm doing, let's do this. <laughs> All right, last question for the night, gentlemen. All right, this one's specifically for Fox, our local CIS player. He he mauled me a few weeks back with a uh, MSU fleet. I'm still hurting about that. Um, Mooney is the best CIS ship, uh, ship and Prov is the worst. Oh my gosh. Um, so I think a Munificent might be not just the best separatist ship. I think it might be the best ship in the game. Period. Oh, cut that right there. That, that's, that's his clip for the rest of the year. Just and want everybody think, to know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the Providence is, um, is I think, Faction specific, probably the worst ship in. You know what? Yeah, I'll say it. I think the Providence is probably the worst ship in the faction, um, including. A, I'd rather have a Gazanti. I'd rather have five. Has Gazantis anybody besides me run a Providence with Jedi hostage on it at a major tournament? Yeah, but how many times did your Providence blow up? How many times? Twice, three times. In three games, out of seven or games, in two games, seven in games. Seven. Oh my god! Well, regardless. So it, so Trenton killed it. Trenton killed it. Uh, the the Onager killed it, and Aaron's double uh, pickle fleet that I should not have flown at killed it. But that was it. I'll so, I, uh, I, I, Ben. You you tell Aaron that he's got it coming at LSO this year because I, <laughs> I, I still have bad feelings about that game. Right, yeah, yeah. He did kind of just backline you as like, come at me. <laughs> I think, but I would like to piggyback Fox that I don't agree that the Munificent's the best ship in the game, but objectively, without my bias towards ISD twos, I would say that the Hard Sill is objectively the best ship in the game. No, no, no. All the bias. Oh my goodness! Bias. I totally agree. Yeah. In part, I, I I agree that Hard Sills are better than ISDs, <laughs> but a Munificent. Let's talk about a Munificent, guys. You got. Three red dice and two red dice out the front. 
you got two red dice on the front, three red dice on the side. You got a two dice, two red dice salvo. It's a mini MSU encapsulated in a 70 point package. I don't think it gets better than that. I really don't. I, I, I will go so far as to say that Munificent is the best medium base in the game. But I, I would agree gotta, with that. But it's you got to keep them cheap. Yeah, but you've got to sure. keep them cheap. You got it's got to have. For me, munis have to have LTT and maybe an officer, and that's it. Unless you're way, unless you're doing TF. By the way, we have tomatoes in the back. I will say what I'm more scared of would be a hard sell swarm than a munificent swarm. They're coming. Uh, so, yeah. So if I face a hard sell swarm, I, I I'm actually worried. If I fa- face a munificent swarm, I'm not as worried. Alrighty. Well, uh, <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Downsize it. Can you give us our listeners a, a quick uh, rundown of where they can find you on YouTube and stuff? Yes. So my channel is called Downsize It. And fortunately, as of now, no other channels are called that. So you just type Downsize It into, this, into the search engine and it'll pop right up. You'll see the uh, black and white um chimera symbol with my name in arabesh in there which was wonderfully designed by uh garrett vance aka admiral tater so shout out to him again for designing my logo for me and uh i'm doing primarily armada content but also occasionally i'm doing like warhammer 40k crusade because i like 40k as well but for a casual play and stuff all right well we, we definitely appreciate you having in here on the on the first episode uh, and we'll hope i'm sure we'll have you back again uh, in future yeah, and maybe you guys might be able to see me this uh, this Saturday if I might if I make it to top table at one of these uh, tables for the Texas TXO online. So, yeah, I'll be playing in uh, in Texas Open online on Saturday as well. So, uh, well, maybe maybe we'll I'll play you there, Ben. That that'd be fun. Yeah, I would love to have a rematch for sure. Well, we're so glad everyone joined us for our first episode. Uh, please follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and join the discussion on the Armada TTS Discord, a link to which you can find in the show notes. So uh, there we have an open channel there for people to talk about the podcast. There's plenty of other discussions going on in the Armada Tabletop server, as well as tournaments. Uh, we've actually got the International Team competi- uh, tr- Tournament, which is uh, starting here and th- this weekend. Um All that takes place on the Armada Tabletop server. Uh, Come and join us, and we will see you next week. And I think uh, we're going to talk about the UK Grand Championships, right, Fox? That's exactly right, yep. And maybe we'll have a special guest for that as well. Guest on guest on guest. All right, guys, have a good night. (laughs) Have a good night, guys. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the Armada Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Armada Podcast. Join us on Discord with the link in the show notes. Until next time.